All right, church, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John, and we're going to be in chapter 7. Today we're in chapter 7, we're going to be starting at verse 25, and today it's, we're going to be talking about this invitation that Jesus gives us. It's, it's an invitation that, well, for those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ in a very real and personal way, it's an invitation that you've received. Now, the nice thing to know, and I'm just going to go ahead and preface it like this, is this invitation is open to all. It's not an invitation that anyone is excluded from. This is what you, what you like to call an open invitation. That's who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ has this open invitation. And so we're going to be looking at that today. And we're going to be looking specifically at verses 25 through 52. So it's a larger chunk of scripture that we're going to be looking at. But we're going to be focusing um, in really one primary area um, in, in talking most about this one one area and we'll get there but what I want us to do first is let's look at this scripture together and and, and you know and I was talking with somebody just recently and I said you know we we always start off by saying open up your Bibles turn with me to wherever it is that we're going and the reason for that is that we want the people here in Bethlehem Baptist Church to know what God's Word says we want them to read it for themselves. I don't want you to just take me at my word. I want you to see what God's word says. I want you to hold me as your pastor accountable. But it's also for your growth. I don't want anyone in here just to simply, it's the reason we don't put the scripture up on the screen. It's the reason that, that, that you know, I don't just simply read this to you and say, you know what, just, just listen. I want you to look at God's word with us. It's what grows us. When we read God's word together, he speaks to us. It's his holy word. So look at this with me together, starting there at verse, chapter 7, verse 25. It says, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet, many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will do more signs than this man has done. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? 
Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and to teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ um, comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? And the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who has gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. There is a lot here. We're going to go through and we're going to unfold and unpack some of these things. What hopefully you can see right off is just how these Jewish leaders are acting. Isn't it kind of crazy to think that, that here's these Jewish leaders, these men who are supposed to be wise, these men who are supposed to be learned. I don't like that word because it sounds weird. But they went to school. They, they, they learned all of these great things. They, they even memorized the first five books of the, of, of, the, of the Bible. Memorized. I probably can only remember like, I don't know, 10 to 20 scriptures myself. I don't know about you guys. But I don't have the first five books memorized. You see, they studied and studied and studied. And then when they got done studying, they studied some more. And they just studied and studied and studied. It's like they lived and breathed and they ate nothing but those first five books. And you know what? They were the dumbest people in the world. But they had no clue who Jesus Christ was. He was standing right in front of them and they couldn't, they couldn't even imagine who he was. Jesus Christ, alive in the flesh, among them, doing countless miracles, speaking the way that he's speaking, teaching the way that he's teaching, doing it since he was a young child. When he was young, remember his parents, they left to go home one time, and, and they're like a day or so into the trip home, and then they turned around and they were like, where's Jesus? <laughs> like, I don't know, like, it wasn't, I told you all a story one time of my family doing that, but... Uh, we left my brother at church. It happens. My brother and I, actually, my brother Jody, who's here with me today, we both just scooted right over in our seats. Boy, we were good and comfortable on that ride home, weren't we, Jody? 
It was a great ride home. But Joseph and Mary, like, they were traveling for like a day. My dad figured it out in like 10 minutes, right? He turned the car around and went back and got Richie. It was amazing that they couldn't figure out Jesus wasn't there. But it was all for purpose, wasn't it? See, when they went to go get Jesus, what they found is that he was in the synagogue and he was teaching. This young boy was teaching and the people who were there were amazed by the things that he was saying and teaching. You, you can't, like, there, there's no small children that has that type of wisdom, that type of knowledge, but he's Jesus, right? He is fully man, but he is fully God. He was sent here in the flesh to be among us. And what a blessing that is. But you see, these Jewish leaders, they couldn't wrap their minds around it. They, just, they were just amazed at, at this kid that knew so much. These men who had studied and studied and studied and studied had no clue who God was. You see, there's a lot of people in the world that are like that. There's a lot of preachers in the world that are like that. There's all kinds of people. You can turn on the TV. You can see a whole bunch of them. I don't have to name any of them. You all know who they are. I've named them before. There's people who claim to know the Lord. They have no clue who the Lord is. No clue. This tells us who the Lord is. Prayer. My personal relationship between me and the Lord Jesus. That tells me everything I need to know about him. He speaks to me. He speaks to my heart. He reveals things to my mind. He, he gives me things before my eyes. I can hear his creation all around me. There is absolute proof of who Jesus Christ is in my life. It's undeniable, for me anyway. I look at people who, who don't understand, who, who, can't, who can't wrap their minds around who Jesus is and what, they, what he has done for them, and, and, and it's hard for me to, to sort of grasp. I'm like, I'm like just, just open your eyes and listen. Well, open your eyes and look, and open your ears and listen. <clears throat> you, I guess you could do it the other way around if you're good enough, but I'm not. But these Jewish leaders, like, they just couldn't grasp. They studied and they studied and they studied so hard, and they just couldn't, they just couldn't put it together. They just couldn't put together who Jesus Christ was, even with all the things that he was doing. All they could do was, was to focus in on what he was going to take away from them. And that was power, and that was money, and that was stature. All the things that they weren't willing to give up or humble themselves to or lay down and say, you are the actual risen Christ, we believe and trust in you because you can do all these things and you have proven yourself to be true. We've even read the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures that we studied and studied and studied, and those things point to who you are. They couldn't wrap their minds around it, and you know why? It's because they're sinful. Sin creeps into our lives. Satan loves to get right in the midst of who we are, and he goes, you seem like a smart guy. Let me make you stupid. That's what he does. He says, let me pull the shade over your eyes so that you can't see. Let me put these little, little things in your ears so that you can't hear and absorb the word of God, and let me infect your heart and make it hardened and black so that the sin that you have is greater than your desire for the Lord Jesus. That's what Satan does. 
He comes, remember, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything. And these Jewish leaders couldn't see past the nose on their faces. They just couldn't do it. Jesus talked a whole lot, verses 25 through uh, 29. He gave all kinds of information in there. And they, they're looking at him and they're saying, is this, is this not the man whom we seek to kill? And yet here he is, he's, he's speaking openly. He's right there. All we have to do is grab him. But nobody dared lay a hand on him, did they? You know why? Because Jesus is in charge. It's, it's, it's his show. It's not their show. It's not our show. It's not the Greg Knapper show. It's not the Bethlehem show. It's, it's Jesus' time. And he says, it's not my time yet. So you know what? Nobody's going to lay a hand on me. I'm going to come and I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to say what I need to say. And whether you like it or not, you're going to hear it. And that's who Jesus is. And these people are like, is this not the man that we come to seek and even kill? And yet nobody even dared lay a hand on it. It says here in 26, it says, it says, here he is speaking openly, and they don't even say anything to him. He's there for the taking. He said, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? Like, maybe, maybe they know it. Maybe deep down, they do get it. That's what the people are wondering. Maybe they do get it. And they're just so stuck on themselves that they're going to ignore it. And there could be some truth in that. There could be some truth in the fact that they are just so eat up with sin that they don't want to give in. They don't want to surrender to Jesus. Jesus Christ said, you know me. He said, you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He said, he who sent me is true, and you do not know him. He said, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. These Jewish leaders should have known God. They should have been in a relationship with God already. As long as they have studied, as long as they have done what they have done, to rise up to the position of power that they are in, they should have been able to recognize Jesus Christ. They should have been able to put two and two together. John Piper, who's the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist Church over in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, no relation to us, but a very solid preacher nonetheless. He says, over and over in this gospel, Jesus makes plain that if you reject him as God's son, his Messiah, and as the supreme treasure of your life, you don't know God or honor God or love God or have God as your father. He says, no matter what your religion and no matter... I apologize, I'm on call for Norton Healthcare. <laughs> So, so forgive me for that. Um, he says, uh, you don't know God, you don't honor God, you don't love God or have God as your father, no matter what your religion and no matter what you say, your relationship with God is here. Uh, is, it, he says, uh, no matter what your relationship is with God. And he says, and here's some examples. He says, um, in John chapter 5, verse 23, it says, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the Father who sent him. In John chapter 5, verses 42 and 40 through 43, it says, I know that you do not have the love of, of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. In John chapter 6, 45, it says, Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes 
to me. And then later, when we get into John chapter 8, we're going to hear these two verses. In verse 19, it says, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. And then in the same chapter, chapter 8, verse 42, it says, If God were your Father, you would love me. You see, these Jewish leaders are so disconnected. Again, they just they can't see the forest for the trees. Jesus Christ is standing right there in front of them. He is teaching. He is proclaiming things that they are, they are truly amazed about, and they just don't care. So what do they do? They send officers to arrest Jesus. It says, The Pharisees heard the crowd that was muttering things about Jesus, and the chief priests and the Pharisees then send officers to arrest him. Jesus then says, I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to the one who sent me. He says, you will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then question this. They look at it, and they say, well, where does this man intend to go? What's he going to do? Is he going to go into the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean when he says, you're going to seek me, and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? The crowd here but very specifically, the officers who were sent are not going to understand these statements that Jesus makes. But verse 30, go back to verse 30, it's going to help us to better understand. Verse 30 says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. See, God has this plan. It is a good plan. It is a perfect plan, and nothing is going to get in the way of this particular plan. Jesus Christ is not being arrested, not because they didn't want to. He's not being not arrested because no one was sent for him. He's not being arrested because his time hasn't come. What time is that? The time where he sacrifices himself for all of us. Jesus Christ is on a timeline. But guess what? It's his. It's not ours. These people can do or try or say anything that they want to, but it will not get in the way of God's holy plan. It is a good plan. It is a perfect plan. And it's a plan that is meant for each of us, even you sitting here in this church today. God is so forward-thinking that he knew you and I were going to need a Savior. He was so forward-thinking that he said, you know what? This killing and sacrificing of animals ain't going to cut it. This killing and sacrifice of animals, all you're doing is killing animals that are already sinful and blemished. You know what? They're not good enough. They're not perfect enough. As a matter of fact, nobody in this room, nobody in this world is good enough or perfect enough. Because Romans tells us that, right? It says, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all sinned, and we've all fallen short. So let's just establish that. Let's get it out of the way. Let's recognize it for what it is. You and I are failures. Now, you can go home and be happy. Right? You're like, well, thanks, preacher. Thanks for giving me a downer on Sunday. I thought we were supposed to be picking me up. Ha! We are going to pick you up. You know who's going to pick you up? Jesus. Jesus is going to pick you up. Jesus is the one that's going to give you the hope. It's not my job to give you hope. My job is to tell you what this says. 
My job is to point you to the truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus Christ is amazing. More amazing than obviously these people can see. Well, they are, they are adamant today, aren't they? Oh my goodness. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this thing shut up here real quick. And while I do that, I'm going to keep going. So these officers, they go and they are attempting to arrest Jesus. They are going there and they are trying to um, uh, see who he is and they are trying their best to, to, to figure out what to do. So they go there and it says nobody could even lay a hand on him. God the Father, he is in charge. He is in charge. Jesus is obedient to the Father. Everything is working out for this good, right, and perfect plan. But there's a very specific plan. Jesus' hour hasn't come yet. There's more work that still has to be done. Jesus Christ will not be arrested before this work is accomplished, and he certainly will not be murdered on the cross before it is done. And I say murdered on the cross because that's exactly what happened. He was crucified. It's just a fancier word for he was murdered. Those of us, just like us, people just like you and I, cried out, crucify him. They want him dead. These rulers want him dead. It's not going to happen yet. We're going to get there eventually as we continue in the book of John here, but his hour has not yet come. And the crowd, they don't really understand this. The Jewish leaders, they don't understand. These officers, especially these officers, they don't understand. They were sent with a very specific job, weren't they? Go and arrest him. Bring him here. You know what happens when you're, when, when you're a, a, an authority figure? When you're an officer back then, you were sent to do a job. That person is standing in front of you and you failed to do that job. You paid a very high price. It wasn't just a simple little slap on the wrist where, where it's like the officers today, you do something wrong and you get to go sit behind a desk and still get paid. It's not the way it worked. You didn't go to jail where you got three meals of cotton, got a workout place, and got to go participate in all these other things. When you went to jail, you got chained and shackled to a wall. When you screwed up back then, you paid a penalty. You paid a price. These men, these officers, were sent to arrest Jesus Christ. And they didn't understand what was happening right before them. They couldn't figure it out. They were wondering, like, I don't know, maybe Jesus is, he's going into this dispersion. He, he's saying, nobody can lay a hand on me. Like, I'm, it's not my time. I don't, you know, like, things are, things are going on. They're like, maybe he's going to go in this dispersion, which is basically just um, uh, when the Jews were, were scattered after, after being exiled from Egypt. Um, they, they were scattered all over the country. Some of them eventually even were put into slavery. And, and so some of these, some of these who, who were dispersed, they were thinking, well, maybe Jesus is going to go travel among these people. Maybe he's going to go teach these people. Like, maybe he's going to disappear. That's the reason that, that nobody's going to be able to find him or, or come to where he is. And they couldn't, they couldn't grasp these things. They couldn't understand. But then Jesus comes on with this. In verse 37, it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day... Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is where the good news comes in. Remember, I, I, I told you, you know, hey, I, you're listening to me, I'm going to send you home upset and depressed. This is where Jesus Christ arrives and he gives us 
some really good news. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Now, this is figurative. The idea here is that Jesus is offering us something more. For those of you who are thirsting for something more, he says, come to me. So the first thing we want to talk about is this invitation to follow Jesus is free. Hopefully those will, those will show up there today. There is no cost for this. Zero cost to you and I. Now, there was a price paid. Amen? Jesus Christ died on that cross. He suffered. He was beaten. He was tortured. He paid a price so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we could be freed from our sins, so that we were no longer a slave to our sins, so that we could have life. You see, we were serving a death sentence before we knew Jesus Christ. We were on death row. We didn't deserve anything better than death. And Jesus Christ came and he changed that. He said, come to me. Drink, all of you. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. This is a free thing that Jesus is offering to us. And here's, this is a cool thing. It says, if, if anyone thirsts. This is the part where you and I get to have free will. See, there's people who will tell you, well, well, you don't get to choose. Well, that, that's really not a choice. Now, is it? If Jesus Christ is just going to make the plans and he's going to do whatever he wants anyway, he's in charge, he's calling all the shots, well, then, then we have no free will. Yes, you do. And words like this big if that we have here says, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me. Let them drink. So the if here means if that's what you desire, if you desire something more, if you desire something greater, someone greater who can do for you what no one else in this world can do, then if that is you, come. But if that's not you, don't. And it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't desire you. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to stop pursuing you. It doesn't mean that Jesus is going to stop looking for you, just like he left the 99 to go seek the one that was lost. The one lost sheep Remember, he left 99 who were saved, who were good, and he went to go find the one sheep that was lost. That was you and I at one time, amen? When we were lost, Jesus, he went looking for us. No one else did that. Satan was actually there like running like as a defensive player, trying to hide you. And yet Jesus never gave up. Remember, he said, what you know, people got angry at him for the things that he did. And he said, well, what if one of you had, a, had one, of your, one of your animals that fell into a hole on a Sunday? Would you not get that creature out? Why are you angry at me for the things that I'm doing for the people around you? I desire you. I seek after you. I don't leave you. Even if you don't believe in me, even if you don't trust me, even if your faith in me is failing, I love you enough that I'm going to die for you regardless. It is a gift that you can't deny. It's given to you whether you want it or not. All you have to do is accept it. So if, if it says, anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. The second thing I want to share with you is that this invitation to follow Jesus is open to anyone. It's open to all people. He says, anyone, if anyone it means exactly what it says it's not exclusive it is inclusive jesus christ doesn't discriminate 
Jesus Christ doesn't care what color you are. Jesus Christ doesn't care what nationality you are. Jesus Christ doesn't care about anything other than you coming to him. He wants you. He desires you. It's amazing. No one has ever loved us this way. No one. My mother, sitting with us here today, tries to love me this way, but she can't. She would definitely lay down her life for me, I have no doubt. But you know who did lay down their life for me? Jesus. No one can love us like Jesus Christ. No one can. Anyone means exactly what it says. Anyone may come to Jesus Christ. It is an open invitation. He says, come to me. Jesus Christ is the only one that can even offer this, right? It's the place that I always go. You might be getting sick of me saying it, but I'm going to read it anyway. John 14, 6. What does it say? Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. Amen? That's what Jesus Christ says. He is the only way. And he says, come, all of you, if anyone thirsts, if anyone. It's not exclusive. It's very inclusive. Now, does it mean that there's not a set of rules that comes along with that? I want to make sure I'm very clear. There's a lot of people out here in this world that will tell you, well, you just get to go do whatever you want then, doesn't it? You get to be whoever you want to be. You get to act however you want to act. If you want to go sin tomorrow, go sin. It's fine. If, he said, if anybody. No. You see, when Jesus Christ came, and we're going to talk about this more specifically next week, because there's this whole section of Scripture that we're going to look at that, one, it's in question. It doesn't exist in many of the manuscripts. But it's a story about a woman who committed adultery and was about to be stoned. Many of you know about that story. And we're going to be talking about that, Lord willing, next week. Here's the thing. Jesus Christ does mean anyone. He doesn't care who you are, what you look like, what you've done. He, none of those things matter. But he says, you do have to come and you do have to follow me, which means you've got to follow my ways. Jesus Christ is the rule maker. There's things contained within this Bible that Jesus says, this is what you have to do. You want to follow me, this is the things that you have to do in order to follow me. You are going to have to give up things. You know what those things are? The sin that is keeping you in death. He just wants you to give up the things that are killing you. You don't realize that they're killing you. But your sinful nature says, I desire this. I desire that. I want, I want, I want. And what Jesus Christ does says, I want you. I want you to turn away from all those things that are bringing you closer to death. I want you to come to me that brings you to life, that brings you to love, that brings you to joy and happiness. Turn away from the things in this world that you think are good. They are only temporary. They are only going to give you a moment of satisfaction. He says, I can give you a lifetime of satisfaction. Do you want a lifetime of satisfaction or do you want five minutes? What, which one is more important to you? You want five minutes of gratification, the right here, the right now, or do you want an eternity of satisfaction that can only be found in Jesus Christ? Because that's what he's offering. We can do a lot of things. We can try to do a lot of things on our own. We can, we can, it, it, it's, it's amazing. But we can't do these things without Jesus. And, and, and I would love to stand here and say, you know, well, 
Here's why. But it's a very personal experience. When you experience it yourself, when you surrender to the Lord, when you surrender to Jesus, and you say, yes, take control of my life, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be fine and hunky-dory. It's not exact, that's not at all what that means. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through struggles. You're going to go through hardships. You're going to go through things where you're going to question. You're going to say, why? Why is this happening to me? I don't get it. You might even say sometimes, like, where are you? But he's always there. He's bringing you through the fires that you're walking through. He doesn't leave you. We have great examples of that. The one that comes to mind first and foremost, probably for many of you when I speak that way, is from the book of Daniel. When those three men were in the fire, they were in this pit, screaming, because the expectation is, I'm, in a, I'm inside of a fiery furnace. It's burning hotter than anything. There were guards that approached this fiery furnace who, who were turned to ash because of how hot it was. And as they're standing there in the midst of this fiery furnace expecting to be burned up, all of a sudden there's this fourth individual that appears. It wasn't in there originally. And all of a sudden they discover, I'm not on fire. I'm not burning up. I'm in the fire, but Jesus is here with me. And they walked out of the fire and they were unscathed. They said their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. And the people who were there who witnessed this, they said, oh, that must have been him. That must have been the Christ, the one who is to come. The one that is with us as we are in the fire, the one that is going through the fire with us, and the one that is leading us out of the fire. Because that's what he does. He's with you. Do you trust that he's with you? Do you believe that he's with you? Do you believe that he can make a difference and that he is providing a way? And are you willing to hang on and let him do the work that is to be done? See, we're an impatient people. I want it yesterday. I don't want to wait. I don't, I don't want to see what results are to come. I want the results now. I want to be able to take my phone out and I want to be able to get, get things. You all heard the people at work want me right now. You know what? They're going to wait. They can want all they want. I'm preaching God's word, and that's not going to stop until I'm done. That's the way it is. God is so more important than anything and everything in our lives. And this invitation to follow Jesus, this going to be the last point that we make today. It leads to life and love and joy. We're going to experience life, love, and joy in, in our relationships with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to bring up that if word again. If, and I do mean if, if you are a Christian, you're going to experience what it is to follow Jesus Christ, and you're going to be excited to follow him. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are you excited to do things in his name? You should be. Because he changed everything for you. You were going to go to hell. And now you're not. You know why? Because you belong to the kingdom. You're an heir to the throne. You are an adopted son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that you are, if you are a proclaiming Christian, everything that you are 
should be screaming, I want to serve Jesus. All of it. Everything that you do. Everything that you point to. When you wake up, you should be excited about Jesus. When you go to bed, you should be excited about Jesus. Not saying that you won't get tired, because you will. Not saying that you're not going to get worn out, because you will. But you're going to be excited. The fire of Jesus Christ does not burn out in you. Regardless of what some people may tell you, it will not go out. It will not get lesser. It's not, the flame doesn't get turned down. You should be on fire for Jesus. If you are a proclaiming Christian, if you, are, if you are saying out loud, I am a Christian, this is who I am, this is what I believe, then, then you should be on fire for Him. Are you on fire? This church, this building, brick and mortar, this isn't it. We gather here together so that we can charge one another up, so that we can encourage one another. But the work to be done isn't done here. We preach the good news here. We tell about what Jesus tells. We share the gospel. And yes, for some people, they hear that. They come forward. They accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And praise God, those things happen. But you know where the real work happens? Out there in the world. And it takes you and I to do it. We're called to do it. We're meant to do it. And if we belong to Jesus Christ, as many of us say that we, say that we do, then we are excited to do the work that needs to be done. We're going to participate. We're going to serve. We're going to do what it takes. Because we've experienced life, love, and joy. So if you're a Christian... That experience that you've received, that hope that you've received, that grace that you've received, it's going to knock your socks off. Many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's amazing. He said in verse 39, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive as yet the Spirit had not been given. Jesus uh, was because Jesus was not yet glorified, the Holy Spirit, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit's not been present this whole time. He's just saying that the Holy Spirit hasn't descended as it will at some point. Remember here, Jesus is still alive. He's not been crucified yet on the cross. He, the, the, the disciples and the apostles, they have not gathered up in that upper room where the tongues of fire came at them and the Holy, Holy Spirit descended upon them and they all began to speak in tongues. That hasn't happened yet. But the Holy Spirit is ever-present. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's been around since the beginning of time. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying, that the Holy Spirit hasn't been given. He's just saying that the Holy Spirit hasn't yet been descended upon the people because Jesus' work isn't done yet. But this obviously has caused some division among the people. And so, especially with these officers, they, they don't really understand what's happening, what's going on. When they hear these words, some of the people then said, well, Jesus really is the prophet. Other people were saying, no, he is the Christ. These people were, were not connecting everything together. They believed that those two things were, were separate of Jesus. But it says, some said the Christ is to come from Galilee, which means they don't know the scripture, number one. Again, these are people that were supposed to be learned now, the Pharisees, the people from the Sanhedrin, all of those people, they knew that Jesus Christ was to come from Bethlehem. 
But, but they still didn't understand the scriptures. You see, the people didn't really know who Jesus was. And the fact remains that they didn't even know who God was. You need to know the Father. You need to know who the Father has sent. The people were unsure about everything that dealt with Jesus. So unsure. And then when the officers came back to these chief priests, and they said, hey, officers, why didn't you bring Jesus? He was right there. We sent you to go do a job. You know what happens when you don't do this job, right? They said, why did you not bring him? And the officers simply answered this. No one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like him. Now, if you're the Pharisee, you're going, what? What, is, what are you talking about? But for these officers who were in the presence of Jesus Christ, said nobody ever spoke like him. Because here's what happened. We came to do a terrible thing. We came to arrest an innocent man. And you know what he did? He looked at us and he said, Come, be with me, follow me. If you thirst, come, follow me. He gave these officers who came to arrest him an open invitation. Same invitation he was offering to anyone else. He didn't look upon them in any way other than with love, with care, with concern, with, with grace, with forgiveness. Jesus Christ, being the perfect individual that he was, looked at them and he invited them to come and drink. If you thirst, come. These officers received something that they didn't expect. It was an open invitation. They were used to people fighting against them, calling them names, rejecting being unruly, and instead what they were met with was love and forgiveness. They were going to go and arrest Jesus Christ, but instead they found something better, didn't they? That's all of us, isn't it? We show up oftentimes with these expectations, and if we meet Jesus Christ in a very real and perfect way, we walk away with something better than what our expectations could ever have imagined. Pharisees couldn't figure this out. They asked, you know, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in this guy? No, no, they haven't. The crowd, the crowd must be accursed. Nicodemus, one of our own. Nicodemus even. They're like, man, he's, he's gone off the deep end too. Nicodemus, who had gone, gone to him before, who was one of them, said to them, he was one of, the, one of the Pharisees, part of the Sanhedrin. He said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They made fun of him for doing the right thing, for standing up for someone who was not guilty of anything. And he said, maybe we should do the right thing. Maybe we should give a hearing. Maybe we should hear him out. Maybe we should figure out what he's doing here, what he's talking about, what he's preaching. What does this all mean? And they said, are you crazy? Are you from Galilee too? Meaning, you're off your rocker. 
you don't know anything. We're the smart ones. We know where the Christ is supposed to come from. He's supposed to come from Bethlehem. But this guy isn't from Bethlehem. We know who he is. Except that he was from Bethlehem. And they had no clue who he was. And these officers that were given grace, even Nicodemus, their eyes are being opened to what the truth is. And that truth is simply that the invitation is there. It's free. The invitation to follow Jesus is free. It's open to every single person in the world. And it leads to life, love, and joy. Nicodemus is realizing this. These officers are realizing this. The Pharisees, right over their heads. Couldn't grasp it. And instead of simply trying to do the right thing, they wanted nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. It's because they belong to Satan. That's who they belong to. That's who they serve. We as Christians get to have a choice. Remember, it said, if, if you thirst, come. The question is, is, do you thirst? Do you desire Jesus? Do you want to give Jesus a chance in your life and see what he can do? Because what I'm going to tell you, and this is what we end with, the invitation is open, it is free, and it leads to life, love, and joy for every single one of you. You already know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. You know what I'm talking about. But if you don't know him, maybe what I'm saying sounds confusing. Maybe what I'm sound, saying sounds stupid. Maybe what I'm saying sounds intriguing, though. All I can do is encourage you to take a step. Just out of faith, take a step and see where Jesus takes you. Trust him. Give him a chance done amazing works in many people's lives, mine included. And I would not stand here and tell you that if I didn't believe it with my, all of my heart. I've seen what he can do. I know what he can do. And I know what he's called for us to do. And we're going to do that together as a church, as a people who proclaim faith in him alone. It's free, it's open, and it leads to life, love, and joy. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we, we just simply ask that as we are here in your midst, that you would show up, God, that you would make yourself known, that you would become so present in our lives, that you would be undeniable for us. That we simply would not be able to come to any other decision or conclusion than that you are the true Son of God, the one who gives everything, including your own life, the one who represents life, love, and joy that opens up this invitation for us of, of peace, of salvation, of forgiveness, of faith. God, I pray now that as, as you are here and present, God, that as you are here in this place, that your Holy Spirit is moving, that, Lord, you would do a work that simply cannot be done by any single one of us. That you would open up hearts today. That you would draw us near to you. Lord, that you would accomplish what no one else can. 
and that by faith we would believe in what you have accomplished. And that is victory over death. That is the forgiveness of sin and that is salvation for those who cry out to you. You open this invitation to all of us. None of us are excluded. So help us, Lord. Help us to remove those hardened layers of our hearts, those things that keep us away from you, Lord. Help us to remove the embarrassments, Lord. Help us to remove um, the obstacles, all the things that keep us from you. Help us to remove everything in our lives that is separating us from you and to humble ourselves before you. Give us the strength. Give us the encouragement. Don't let any, anyone here today leave today that feels a tug on their heart. Help us to surrender to you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your gift. It's free, open to all of us, and leads to life, love, and joy. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.